Welcome, and thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, where the most gruesome, the most brutal, the most heinous high-profile homicides occurring in Maryland, they are discussed, they are profiled, and they are examined. I apologize for the delay, y'all. I know it's been a minute. I am having a rough end of the year. I'm not even going to lie. Um, in September, many of y'all know I lost my mother. And now, um, a few days ago, I lost my brother-in-law. I mean, God, man, what a year. So, my mind has not really been on murders, not even on a podcast. I'm not even going to lie. And I had to take a break and regroup my mind. But, like I said, um, when I take little breaks like this, it does not do anything but rejuvenate me. And it basically reiterates my life purpose. And I am back. And I am back with a vengeance. And speaking of vengeance, vengeance is mine, said the Lord. <laughs> That's the scripture in Romans 12, 19 through 21. Or Deuteronomy 32-35, depending on whatever Bible you're using. And revenge or vengeance, or, or revenge, is the topic for this season, which is season 9. We're going to go right back on topic. And they say that revenge is a dish served cold. And these next cases of revenge murders did not fail to deliver just that. These next 10 cases of revenge murders occurring in Merlin, um, they had a clear motive of revenge or basically where the killer was like, I'm going to pay you back for whatever I feel that you did to me. Some people just cannot let shit go and they would rather happily spend the rest of their lives in prison than to just let shit go and just move on with their lives. And this episode's case of revenge murder that I'm going to profile is the brutal murder of 53-year-old Helga Nichols. And because we are in season nine, um, don't think that just because all of a sudden, you know, I'm going to switch up and not dedicate a portion of this podcast to an unsolved homicide that needs special attention because now it's considered a cold case and in every single episode of this podcast although a lot of attention and focus is given to homicides that may have received a lot of attention and notoriety on the flip side this podcast also has a goal in assisting in any unsolved homicides that need to be solved and this episode's unsolved homicide is the murder of 33-year-old Ruth Charlene Metcalf. Whew. Marriage. It is not easy. It ain't for sissies. I don't care what y'all say. Marriage is not for the faint of heart. And yeah, I've been married before. So when people get married, most of the time they inherit extended family members like stepkids, um, brother-in-law, sister-in-law. Um, most of the time you inherit a mother or a father-in-law. And when you mix both families together, they do not always get along. And sometimes the blend 
can be downright deadly. Let's examine the deadly case of Leon Augustus Cosley Jr. In 1995, Leon and his wife got married and like most couples, um, they started having problems. Leon thought that his mother-in-law was basically a major, major problem in their marriage because he felt that his mother-in-law was controlling his wife and that his mother-in-law had a major influence in their family in general. Leon thought that his mother-in-law had a major influence in um, their finances and like, especially on like how they raised their kids, which included his wife's young daughter that Leon had adopted as his own and their uh, young son that the couple had together. Now, five years after the couple said I do and got married and all this, you know, lovey-dovey stuff, Leon's wife accused him of assault and slashing her car's tires. And in September of 2000, the couple separated. The separation, of course, it wasn't mutual. And it led to Leon having only supervised visitation with his kids. But by November of 2001, Leon had stopped seeing his kids altogether. By June of 2002, the couple's divorce was finalized and Leon only got about $4,700 in cash, which was the balance of the equity from a townhome that the couple had bought together while they were married. Leon had been reduced to living in a room at the Boston Inn Motel without seeing his kids um, he had lost his house, he had lost his car, he, he did have a motorcycle, but guess what? He lost that too in a divorce. And at first, Leon had shared custody of his kids with his wife, but because of issues with the court, um, you know, the order, like the, 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 the visitation had to be supervised. Um, Leon hadn't seen his kids since that divorce was finalized because he had been ordered to stay away from his ex-wife from an earlier incident where he had been accused of slashing her tires. And when you act out stuff like that, you know, and protective orders and stuff like that, yeah, you, you have to get supervised visitation sometimes. Either way, Leon was pissed about all of it. He blamed everything on his meddling ass mother-in-law who he said controlled and ran his marriage. Leon theorized that his mother-in-law was the main reason for his marriage breaking up because he found out that his wife had been secretly giving money to his mother-in-law to save as some sort of secret stash so that his wife could plan her escape. And of course, Leon didn't like that. Now, on the morning of August the 14th, 2002, Leon could not take no more. Around 7.50 a.m., Leon's ex-wife, she dropped the kids off over her mother's house in the 1600 block of Old Manchester Road in Westminster. She did that like she normally did so she could watch them, so her mother could watch them while she went to work. Leon's former mother-in-law, 53-year-old Helga Nichols, she was widely known in the neighborhood as Helga from Westminster.
because she always called into various Baltimore-based talk news shows, radio shows, and stuff like that. And she always was introducing herself as, you know, Helga from Westminster. And that's what she was always referred to. And she was home that day, babysitting her 12-year-old granddaughter and her 5-year-old grandson when around 10.30 that morning, Leon made his move. Leon, it swirled in his head. He thought about all that he had lost in his, in his divorce. And he thought about all that he had been reduced, you know, everything that he had lost and he had been reduced to living in a motel. And he wasn't really seeing his kids. And he blamed his mother-in-law for all of it dearly. And he decided that he was going to get his revenge no matter what it costs. Earlier that day, Leon woke up, went to a local car dealership, and took a truck on a test drive. I don't know why, because he didn't even buy it. After that, at around 10.20 a.m., Leon drove to a nearby Target and bought an 8-inch chef's butcher's knife and a pack of gum like any other morning. Except on this morning, Leon headed over to his mother-in-law's house where he knew that Helga would be babysitting the kids. On this particular day, Helga had planned to take the kids back to school shopping, and she had just called a radio talk show and was busy mopping the kitchen floor when Leon suddenly stormed through the kitchen door that was unlocked and he was holding the knife. Helga, who had been standing in the kitchen, was completely shocked to see Leon come strolling through her her kitchen door holding that big ass knife. Leon's 12 year old daughter who had been half sleeping in the chair in the living room while watching TV she later told homicide detectives that all of a sudden she heard her grandmother screaming like she's never heard her scream before. Leon put the knife in his back pocket and the 12 year old witnessed her father choking her grandmother at first. Helga tried to fight him off but she was just no match for Leon's rage and intense, seething anger. With revenge searing through his veins, Helga fell to the ground from Leon choking her, and then he put, pulled the knife out of his back pocket and started viciously and brutally stabbing the woman. Leon plunged his knife into Helga 13 times in her chest, five times in her stomach, six times in her face, one time in her right arm, and she had multiple defensive cuts on her hands and arms to show that she died trying to block his blows. After Leon was sure that Helka was dead, he spit on her to further show how enraged he was. As if this murder couldn't get any worse, his kids witnessed the whole fucking thing. I, I can't even imagine. I, I cannot even imagine. Leon's daughter tried to call 911 as she saw her father stabbing her grandmother. And as, after she did that, she dropped the phone and ran out the front door to a neighbor's house as Leon yelled for her to wait. When the neighbor saw Leon's daughter um, at their door screaming and crying, uh, the neighbor let her in and the child screamed, my grandmother's been stabbed. She's going to die. My dad did it. Can you imagine that? 
Concern for her little brother's safety, who was still left in the house, Leon's daughter tried to convince the neighbor to um, go to the house and rescue her little brother because he was still in there with his father. But the neighbor called 911 instead, and when the police showed up at Leon's home, instead of surrendering peacefully, Leon held his son hostage and a tactical team, like a SWAT team, was called to the scene. His five-year-old son later told detectives that he had been walking up the stairs to go to the bathroom and he was halfway up the stairs when all of a sudden he heard his grandmother screaming. The child said that he raced back downstairs and saw his father repeatedly plunging the eight-inch knife into his grandmother's body all without saying a single word. They said he was totally quiet while doing this. Leon yelled at his son for, you know, yelled at his son for him, the son, to go back upstairs. And, of course, the boy listened to his father and went upstairs hiding in his bedroom. A few minutes later, the boy later testified in court um, that when his father came upstairs in his room, he had two knives in his hand. The boy said that Leon gave him candy a gold necklace that was around his own neck and the rest of the settlement money that he had left over, which was about $900 in cash. Giving this to a five-year-old. Leon stayed on the phone um, briefly with a 911 dispatcher to explain why he did what he did. In his words, he said, I lost everything. I lost my house. I lost my car. I lost my job. I don't have anything at all because of her and her mother. He was like, she got involved and uh, she put up my house, which was something I didn't do. You know, he's just going on and on and on to this 911 dispatcher. But once the tactical team arrived on the scene, they easily arrested uh, Leon as he walked down some steps near the front door. As the tactical team approached Leon, um, his son, who had been yelling, help me, help me, from a, from a bedroom, the little boy told them, boy, am I glad to see you, when he saw the officers arrived in the bedroom. Helga, who had lived in Westminster for over 13 years, was pronounced dead at the scene. Helga had loved gardening, she loved arts and crafts, and Arson Crafts, and she was a devoted homemaker and amateur painter who loved spooling her grandkids. Helga had been born in Germany before making Merlin her home. She was widely known as a strong Republican, and she often voiced her opinion on various radio talk shows. Arrested and charged with first-degree murder. Leon at first told homicide detectives that he basically didn't really remember what happened, but eventually he confessed and said that he wished it never happened. Although Leon came to his mother-in-law's house um, armed with an eight-inch butcher knife, Leon still insisted that Helga's murder wasn't premeditated, and he decided since he had nothing to lose, he was going to take his case to trial. In court, Leon's attorney argued that Leon was just trying to see his kids and basically he just snapped from the frustrations of not being able to do so. 
But after a co-worker of Leon's testified for the state that Leon had told him about um, losing everything in the divorce and that he was going to stab his mother-in-law to death if it was the last breath he would ever take, in May of 2004, it took a jury of five women and seven men only four hours to find Leon guilty of first-degree murder. After the guilty verdict, instead of being remorseful, uh, Leon yelled out, You'll get yours, as uh, he was being led out of the courtroom, while his ex-wife ran out of the courtroom in tears. Leon was eventually sentenced to a life sentence without the possibility for parole and an additional three years for the gun charge. Later, Leon's ex-wife gave a statement to the press that said, in her words, there is some relief. Justice is on its way. This can't bring her back. Nobody wins in this, but my kids are not going to use this horrible thing in their life to turn their lives upside down. My children are going to become something. Now, I chose this as one of Marilyn's most notorious uh, revenge cases because look at the obvious. I mean, nobody deserves to be brutally stabbed to death. Um, if she didn't want you no more, she didn't want you no more. You know, if the court said you had to do a certain thing, yeah, hate to say it, but you had to do a certain thing. If you're going around slashing tires, then yeah, you should probably be supervised. Um, it's, it's, it's not that much hate in this world to go around to stab somebody in front of your kids. Now look what you did to them. You know, you killed your kid's grandmother in front of them. You think, and they, you didn't think that they would, would be, he didn't think that they wouldn't be affected by that? I mean, come on. I mean, was it really, 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 really worth it when you think about it? Was it, was it really worth it? He now has to spend the rest of his life in prison reliving those moments. Was it worth it? The pain that you caused not only just your kids, but your ex-wife as well. Your, your kids will never be the same. Will never be the same. And neither will you. No record. And now you're spending the rest of your life in prison. Wow. <laughs> Rage and revenge. So yes, I did choose. This is why I selected this case as one of Marilyn's most notorious murders. Uh, revenge cases. I don't. Re I didn't. When I was doing the research, I'm not even gonna lie. I vaguely, vaguely remember this case, and only because I remember um, the victim, the name Helga from Westminster. I do remember that name and, and the the talk shows and stuff that she used to call, and especially um the um ten ten, um W L L B A M. But um, like I said. I, I selected this uh, homicide case because there was a clear motive of revenge. Um, it was horrific. It was heinous. And the motive was clear. Moving right into this episode. Let's try this again. <laughs> Moving right onto this un episode's unsolved homicide. And like I said earlier... Um, just like in every single episode that has been in this podcast, although a lot of attention and focus is placed on uh, notorious, well-known homicides that may have received a lot of attention and press 
from the media in the state of Maryland. This podcast also shines a light on the many, many homicide cases that we see in the state of Maryland that do not receive a lot of attention or a lot of any mention at all in the press. It's like uh, these type of homicides are so common in Maryland that there's not a lot of time in this podcast to basically to focus on just one. I mean, sometimes when a person gets murdered in this lovely, beautiful state of Maryland, you don't hear nothing else about it other than the initial report. You might hear something about it on the news maybe once or twice, and that's it. And then here comes another one. And the number of homicides that are unsolved in this state is completely staggering. Unbelievably, really. It, I mean, it's obvious that homicide detectives, they cannot do everything like by themselves. It's not like what you see um, on TV or what you might see on the first 48. In the state of Maryland, it's, it's not like that. Homicide detectives, they are often um, overworked, underpaid, outnumbered, under stress, and they flat out sometimes, to be honest, beaten down. And all the time, it's, it's to be able to do that on a daily, base, daily basis over and over again. I mean, what happens to cases where, you know, nobody is talking at all and when they have nothing to work with? And you have like literally zero. What happens when you spend, you know, X amount of time on that and you really don't have any evidence at all? You know, detectives don't have nothing to start with. It's like what happens to the cases where nobody is talking at all? What happens when cases where absolutely there's no clues, there's nothing, where nothing, you have, they, detectives, they just have a body. Whatever, you know, what happened, people ever wonder what happened to these type of cases where there's no evidence, no clear motive, no clues, no nothing. Or what about cases where because of the victim's past or their current lifestyle, where it seems like the detectives, they're not really trying to investigate the case because you get a sense or a feeling that the detectives ain't really trying to find out what happened because... The victim, it seems like they quote-unquote had it coming. You know, maybe they was out here tricking or maybe they was out here selling drugs. You know, what happens to these type of homicide cases? You know, do it seem like the killer or the killers just just simply just got away with murder? You know, like I said, what about the cases where the family members or friends, they know who killed their loved one, but they just can't prove it. It just seems like literally nothing is done with these forgotten victims or homicides, not because nobody cares anymore, but it's because the police simply, you know, the public simply just forgot all about it because we've been bombarded by other homicides, newer homicides. It's like we have been become completely immune to murder in this state. Well, on this podcast, although I do talk a lot about cases where the murder did receive a lot of attention and notoriety. On the flip side, a focus is also on homicide cases that did not receive the amount of attention that they should have. And with that being said, this week's unsolved homicide is the murder 
of 33-year-old Ruth Charlene White Metcalf on April 15, 1996, around 9 a.m., a neighbor who lived near the Cromwell Field Shopping Center in the 7300 block of Baltimore-Annapolis Boulevard in Glen Burnie was walking their dog when they saw what they thought was a mannequin lying face down on a walkway or path next to a creek behind the shopping center. But after he looked further, he discovered that the mannequin was actually a dead body. The female body was clothed in white spandex pants with multicolored flowers and a long sh red shirt and after the police were called the body was later identified as that of 33 year old Ruth Charlene White Metcalf. The detectives didn't know if Ruth was killed at the location where she was found or if she was killed somewhere else and just dumped in that location. According to articles in the Baltimore Sun Ruth, who was technically homeless, but her last known address was in the 1900 block of Wellham Street in Baltimore, and she had a long history of prostitution. Uh, Ruth had been arrested at least nine times since 1990 on prostitution, battery, drug, and theft charges. Either way, with no witnesses, no suspects, no leads, Ruth could easily just slip into cracks and world of unsolved homicides in Maryland like what I just talked about. Regardless of her lifestyle, Ruth still has, uh, she still was a victim with a beating heart and she deserves justice just like everybody else. So if anyone has any information that they would like to provide in this unsolved homicide, please call the Anne Arundel County Police Department at 410-222-4731. Or you can call Metro Crime Stoppers at 1-866-7-LOCKUP or on your numeric keypad, those numbers are 1-866-756-756. 2587. Once again, those numbers are the Anne Arundel County Police Department at 410-222-4731 or you can call Metro Crime Stoppers at 1-866-7-LOCKUP or on your numeric keypad, those numbers are 1-866-756-2587. You can remain anonymous, people, and do the right thing. Thank you for tuning in this week. Before I go into my usual routine of how you can access prior episodes, blah, 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 let me mention that if you tuned into me all last season, I told my listeners that I was producing a true crime documentary all by myself, all on my own, uh, with uncensored... Uh, and that the documentary was going to be based off of my very first episode, the episode that um, profiled accused child killers Adon Canella and Policarpio Espinoza. And yes, the documentary is now currently available. Um, I have been starting to uh, 
email it to uh, the people as long as you, I mean, to my listeners, as long as you leave me a message on um, the, the podcast, I mean, a website that you would like to view the documentary. Um, the documentary is coming across, it's being emailed to you view to something called um basically the website is called uh what is it we download or something like that <laughs> i forget what it's called but either way it's i send it to you right within 24 hours all you got to do is send me a message and i will send you um the link where you can view it and like i said um, it was supposed to be shown on uh, Hulu, t- Tubi, and all of that. But because of the extreme graphic nature of the documentary that I refused to edit and all that other stuff, it involves the brutal and horrific um, murders of three innocent kids. And the networks basically shied away from that. And they told me that the documentary was too graphic, too much for network TV, and to be honest, I got the sense that nobody really cared about the injustice that was going on anyway because it involves, you know, two Mexicans, two illegal Mexicans at that. So I guess because the documentary does include the actual crime scene photos that they kind of shot away from my particular documentary, which is crazy because I just saw a documentary on, I think it was, um, was it Tubi? They literally showed, um, I had never seen nothing like that before. I've, I've seen a thousand documentaries regarding Jeffrey Dahmer, but I had never seen one where they showed the actual head in the refrigerator. Like the victim where he had, um, when I believe the cop said when he came into his home, they opened up the refrigerator and they saw a victim's head that was in there. I had never seen the actual crime scene photo showing that photo. So that's not graphic enough, but you can show that, but I couldn't show, so no. Either way, either way, because of the brutal nature of the crime scene photos, um, I had I could not pull those because they add to the emphasis of the innocence of Don Canella and Policarpio Espinoza. And in order for me to fully emphasize the fact that they did not commit this hor- like horrific, horrible crime, I had to show what was done to these kids with no sugarcoating on it. No uncensoring. So there's no way the victim's uncle and cousin committed these murders that were extremely brutal in nature. And if you watch the documentary, you'll see who I believe that maybe these murders were committed by. Either way, uh, like I said, the documentary is available uh, via email only. Um, It will be sent to you uh, via link. It's not for everybody's eyes. I will admit that. That's why it comes with a disclaimer. And this documentary was not produced to make money or to, you know, make podcast uploads or anything like that, which is another reason why I didn't choose the, basically, the network route. I mean, I can't and will not be censored, especially when it comes to true crime and facts and and injustice that is currently going on. So, in order to see the documentary, please visit my website at Maryland's Most Notorious Murders.com. And Maryland is uh, spelled MDS, Most Notorious Murders.com. You can subscribe to the mailing list by leaving your email address and send me um, uh, a request that you want to see the documentary. 
and I will email a video to you within 24 to 48 hours. And I have to warn you though, the video is very graphic. And as I said, uh, Hulu and Tubi and Netflix and all that, well, no, Tubi and all them. Um, YouTube, even YouTube told me that it was because of its graphic content that it was unacceptable. And also because to be honest, I truly believe that, like I said, with the state of the world that we in, um, the way it was, it's, it just seemed, like I said, it just seems like nobody cares that these two illegal immigrants are locked up serving life sentences for crimes that they did not commit because everybody's attitude is like they weren't supposed to be over here anyway. And it's like, nobody cares. And, you know, wow. It's like, that's why I produced a documentary to open up people's eyes so y'all can basically be aware of what's really going on. And while you're at it, while you're at the website, please be sure to subscribe to this podcast via Spotify for updates on future spine-tingling, hair-raising, eye-popping episodes. And for paid subscribers, be sure to check out the real, the raw, the uncensored version of why I decided to start a true crime podcast in the first place. A lot of people think that I just woke up one day and then boom, out of nowhere, there's a podcast. But nope, that is not even hardly true. There is a real therapeutic message to this true crime world of gore and mayhem. And if you click on the episode entitled, Why I Do What I Do, you'll understand more about why I'm so weird, so crazy, so fascinated with true crime. And while you're at it, at the website, MarilynsMostNotoriousMurders.com, be sure to check out all the all the basically all the prior episodes that you may have missed with all the different seasons that we have focused on like suicide homicides sick twisted pedophile or sex related type of homicides i really had to take a break on that one or even parasite killings like the focus that was for last season you can also find links to all of my true crime books that are loosely related to this podcast entitled uh, Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, 1990 through 2008, Maryland's Unsolved Homicides, Volume 1, and my local bestsellers, Until I Get Caught, The True Story of a Serial Rapist in Baltimore, and Junkie, A True Baltimore Story. You can get all of these books on Amazon, or you can get them directly on the website. Just leave me a message. I send them to you most of the time. These books are free of charge. You can also check me out on Season 1 of Payback, which airs for the TV1 network. You can also check me out on the Oxygen Network for Black Widow Murders, where I profiled Maryland's female serial killer, uh, Josephine Gray. Or you can check me out on TV1's Justice By Any Means, TV1's Fatal Attraction, where I profiled the North Carolina child murderer, Peter Moses. Or you can find me hosting Killer Kids for the LMN Network, where I profile teen killers Sarah Citroni and Jason DeLong. Or you can check me out on uh, the latest article for The Crime Report, where I am this also discussing, again, what led me to developing a true crime podcast. Last but not least, many of my listeners have been messaging me on how they can donate to this podcast. On my website, Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, 
there is a donate icon on the website where you can contribute via PayPal, Anchor, Ko-Fi, what is it, Ko-Fi? Or buy me a coffee, I don't know, is it Ko-Fi or Ko-Fi? Or the buy me a coffee um, icons. Um, I usually don't try to generate money from this podcast or nothing like that. But like I said, people have been insisting. So if you insist and you want to, that's how you can donate and that way I can um, develop more um, documentaries, which there will be a part two to um, the documentary that was produced about um, the Paula Carpio and Don Canella episode. I'm getting that together now. And there will also be other documentaries that will be coming, um, in, coming to you in 2024. Thanks so much for all of your support on that. Um, please, 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 please be sure to tune in next week where another gruesome, another high-profile homicide occurring in Maryland will be profiled, it will be examined, and it will be discussed on Maryland's most notorious murders. This has been A Savage Life production. <laughs>